Hello and welcome to Posting Up, Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National Bureau for the Washington Post at Golden One Center in Sacramento with my buddy Sam Amick. Uh, we are both tired. It's been a long week. Sam stayed at my apartment the other night before uh, before the Wolves game, and as we were sitting here ready for the podcast, I couldn't remember that the Warriors played the Wolves yesterday. So <laughs> it's been uh, this could be an interesting podcast, second, uh, second late night pod in a row, but Sam... Uh, thanks for doing this. And let, let's start with the Kings. Um, Sacramento wins a second straight game at home. Uh, the lowly Kings now, what, 3-9? and nine? I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I think. Something like that. But uh, they win. They raise a sharp memory. Uh, the Kings win now. De'Aaron Fox uh, hits a game-winning jumper. And you know, for a franchise that for so long has been defined by chaos and the kind of never-ending tornado that was the DeMarcus Cousins experience. It it did kind of, I, I don't know, it's probably a little drunk, strong to say, but it did kind of feel like a passing of the baton moment to see De'Aaron Fox, this guy that seems like he's going to be the, the leader of this franchise for a while, make the game-winning shot and kind of, you know, start the De'Aaron Fox story here. Yeah, I mean, it's a fan base that doesn't get enough nights like this. And so I always, I'm a sucker for, for them having a good time and you know I used to cover the team as the beat writer and so I feel a little kinship with those folks and folks went crazy um Willie Colley Stein coming up big late against Joel Embiid Box Joel Embiid at the rim after Embiid got an offensive rebound uh chance to put the Sixers up three and then Fox came down and hit the shot that uh put them up for good right first of all I feel like we buried the leader you got to paint the picture of where we're doing the pod we are sitting here with our Legs kicked up, feet kicked up in one of the beautiful suites here at the Golden One Center. The uh, monstrosity of a video board is turned off. You got <laughs> folks uh, hardworking, cleaning up the facility. You know, this is not bad. We got to get a, a press row up here. But the Kings had a good night. Uh, you called them the lowly Kings. I learned the hard way on Twitter. Do not call them the lowly Kings. I got a lot of crap for that. But uh, it was an interesting night. And, and the Sixers team... Didn't finish the deal, didn't close the deal. And, and like we saw afterwards when Brett Brown did his media, uh, I'm a sucker for candor. And Brett Brown, you know, came pretty strong with some criticism of his team. He was not a happy coach. Well, Brett was fired up. I mean, it, it, it was fun for me. I was joking around uh, with some people after the game that, uh, you know, I'm an East Coast guy from New York. And uh, Brett, you know, played at BU and is a Northeast guy. <laughs> he was he was all fired up after the game. And unlike, you know, Steve Kerr, while Steve Kerr gets wound up during games, uh, you don't often see him get wound up post game. And Brett you know, it, when asked a couple times, hey, is it, uh, you know, is this kind of expected? You have a team that's won five in a row, young team, kind of maybe a little little too full of itself after some success. And <laughs> Brett, Brett was having none of that and just wow, saying we, we were we were terrible. And it just wasn't even like even if even if the premise of the like, even if you try to like partially agreed with the premise, yeah. but he was just so angry about the way the game ended and the way his team played that he just was that was all he could focus on. Well, and I think it's we need to paint a, a good picture again here. This was your question and it was a fair question. And I got a kick out of seeing Brett look at you and again the premise was was very reasonable brett just wasn't having it and he's looking at you like you're trying to let my team off the hook and i don't really want you to let my team off the hook and you tried to you know pivot and try a second attempt to let his team off the hook and he wasn't doing that tonight you know when any coach is using the word rogue to talk about his players and what they did in late game sequences that's pretty strong um you know i i Tell me, I'm trying to, I, to be, and I wasn't even trying to necessarily let them off the hook. Like you could see the whole game. They looked like a team that came in here that won five in a row. That was kind of 
high on its horse and not it didn't they didn't seem like they from the beginning really, really took this is. game seriously. I mean, the Kings have, and this is not a slight; it's reality. They have the opposite effect. You always hear the cliche about the Warriors have the target on their back. <laughs> Everybody comes so hard for them. Yes. The Kings, it's the exact opposite. And it's funny since they're 80 miles down the road too. Right. It's just the the two complete opposite spectrums of the NBA. Right, and to the Kings' credit, the my kind of the probably highlight of the night in terms of just enjoying a guy's performance. Not to psychoanalyze Willie Colley Stein, but he looked like a guy who basically was like, no, Joel Embiid, like you're not going to come in here <laughs> yeah. and win the game in my building. Now, we kind of joked during that moment that Willie needs to find a way to compete that way night in, night out. Mm-hmm. That's a different conversation. But, you know, huge blocks, huge energy, and, you know, that De'Aaron Fox pull-up jumper, um, you know, interesting stuff for that team. Uh, I'm probably, I think, finally officially in that camp where I would like to see more De'Aaron Fox and – and uh, George Hill's struggles are, are definitely kind of strange. I mean, Darren is the centerpiece of this franchise going forward, and uh, you know, not much incentive to to kind of pull him back like they are right now. Well, no, and it's funny because they're basically doing, uh, you know, it's not quite the Keith Bogans as friend of the pod Nate Duncan likes to call it, but they're essentially playing George the first somewhere between eight and ten minutes of each half. And then they bring De'Aaron in, and he plays the rest of the game, and, that's, and the rest of the, each half. And at some point, you got to get him into a regular situation where he's starting and then coming back in and kind of doing a normal uh, rotation. But he's just a really impressive kid. I mean, you, for a franchise that needed a reset, and I mean, Sam, uh, for the listeners who don't know, Sam, like you said, he covered, covered the Kings. He's played in Sacramento forever. He's been around the team a long time. Like, if there was a franchise that needed a young guy to come in and not just be a good young player, and he looks like, I mean, you could see why people compared him to John Wall in college besides the fact they went to Kentucky and they're fast. Like, he's, he's got a chance to be a really good player. But when you talk to him in interviews and you see how he handles himself, like, for a, there, there was no franchise that needed a guy that could come in as a teenager and be more ready to take on what it meant to be the guy than it seems like at least – at this point, Fox has been able to do. Yeah, no, he's got a shot to be that guy for this team, and if they were able to keep momentum going and or get momentum going and, and build something, uh, from a PR media fan standpoint, like you said, Tim, he's got a chance to be beloved in this town. You know, his personality is fantastic. He's dynamic, uh, confident, you know, interesting. Right. Even, you know, the name, The I, I love his Twitter handle. He's got a swipe of the fox. Yeah. I heard uh, I was talking to one of the Kings executives tonight, and uh, they were kind of looking ahead to the draft next year, and, and, and I think this is safe enough to share. Use the line that, that the fox needed a hunter. You know, <laughs> that, you know, That's pretty good. Or maybe I fox, like that. Fox and the hound. I don't know which direction you go, but, like, you know, he's clearly the guy that they're going to build around, and, and they'll see where they can take it. Yeah, and you look, I mean, you, you look at some of these, you know, a lot of the guys in the draft, whether it's, you know, a guy like Michael Porter, a, a wing, or Luka Doncic. I mean, you put – you think you get one of the top two or three picks, or maybe Marvin Bagley, and they get one of those kind of combo forward types to play with a lot of these other young guys and with Fox. Like that's that's potential to have the start of something pretty nice here. But let's talk about the, the Sixers, the other team here for a minute. Um, they're obviously an East Coast team. We're both out here on the West. We haven't seen them a ton, but um, my first chance to see Ben Simmons in person uh, as an, in, in an NBA game was very impressed. Uh, the thing that stands out to me the most with him, uh, beyond the fact that his jump shot is broken, which we'll get to in a minute, is like when he had he had a crazy dunk in the middle of the game, like the one he had a couple a week I think ago. Um, he's just so smooth all the time that when he has those explosive moments and like flies to the basket, it kind of comes out of nowhere. 
And like you, you don't because of like the as smart of a player he is, and as like as in control he is all the time. It it kind of belies the fact that he's a super athletic kid, and like he could do some some pretty crazy stuff. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, he's so smooth. He just I'm trying to think of good comparisons, but he's one of those guys that you know coaches talk about how the game slows down for certain players. You feel like you can visibly see that component with Ben, which is crazy to see out of a rookie. Um, this was one of his more underwhelming nights of the year, but like you said, still plenty jumps out at you about what he can be and what he already is. He's fun. Um, They got a lot to be excited about, obviously, and like you, this was my first look at them this season with this group, and and it's interesting. There's a lot of layers to their situation, and we can get into some of that stuff. Yeah, let's do it. Go through Like Joel Embiid. You know, there have been nights – and you know, I've been watching on TV for the most part last year, and right, and, me too. You know, it's it's like where he just looks like a bona fide future Hall of Famer. Tonight, you got kind of the other dose of reality that he continues to deal with his knee situation and his health and his conditioning. This part, I, I don't think I had any clarity on until tonight. That from a conditioning standpoint, you're talking about a guy who is literally using game time playing as his conditioning. He's not getting on a bike. In other instances, um, he's you know trying to rest the knee, and, and so he's maybe 60-70% when you take everything that an NBA player does into account. Um, so the fact that he just sleptwalked his way to 22-15 and 15 is pretty impressive, but it's also challenging. If you're Brett Brown and the rest of his teammates you know, trying to figure out how to compete every night and who the heck knows, maybe get a playoff berth, that's a lot to go through. Yeah, and, and even talking to Embiid after the game, and this I think was the second or third game in his career he's played over 30 minutes. You know, he finally got the 30 minutes, I, I want to say, last week. It was the first time he'd ever done it. And, you know, I tried to ask him, like, hey, you know, now that you're finally able to not, – you're not on a minutes limit anymore. You're kind of playing 32 minutes a night. Like, does that feel good to kind of be past that? And he even – it was after a loss, but even after a loss, like, he, he was like, look, like, yeah, it's nice that – I could play 32 minutes, but I wish I wasn't uh, having to sit out games because he sat out Tuesday night. I wish I could play 40 minutes a night. And he basically just said, but I just have to kind of accept the situation. And it does, to me, make the, the decision the Sixers made to give him the five-year max deal, even with some protections in it, all the more interesting because they didn't really have to do it at the time. And... Like, again, like, the guy is an incredible player. Like like you said, today kind of sums up the entire Joel Embiid experience. The guy can't really work out outside of games. He puts up 22-15, and 15, even though he looks sluggish most of the night. And, you know, guys are always going to be yeah, motivated yeah, to play him. Because it was 22-15, and 15, I wasn't that impressed. No, no, and I wasn't either. Because if, if you'd have told me at the, game, at the end of the game he had 22-15, and 15, right. I wouldn't have thought he did. Because it, it, he just didn't seem to have that kind of explosion. But, um but like you say that he has 22 and 15, even though he's at like 60%, and he's in the locker room after the game getting his knee worked on, and like he he's frustrated he can't do more stuff. I mean, it is it is just I mean he's probably the most fascinating player in the league when you factor in all of the the stuff that goes into it from his talent level to his physical condition to his personality, which for the league like he needs to be healthy because he's just a great personality for the league. It, it, you know, between him and Simmons and the whole Markel Fultz situation, like there is just a ton going on with the Sixers team that is going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I mean, we can probably segue there. You mentioned Markel. Uh, you got another number one pick. You know, with a struggle of his own last year, it was Ben with the uh, the was the Jones fracture. What did he have last year? Uh, no, he no. just had some uh, 
Ben Simmons had the Jones fracture. Markel. No, that's what I was saying. No, no, Ben. Oh, Simmons. Yeah, yeah, Simmons had the Jones Ben fracture. had the Jones. I'm just saying, number one picks who have to kind of endure some stuff in their rookie seasons. And so Markel, you know, with the shoulder injury that uh, that has been kind of very controversial in terms of how did it start, uh, shooting form being changed, now on the shelf unofficially mm-hmm. for about three weeks. He's with the team out here, you know, seemed to be in fine spirits, wearing a backpack. Hanging around, talking to people, you know, I, for what it's worth, and this is from a guy who's never around this team, but, you know, I, I was kind of watching body language to see if does he act like he's part of the group, and from what I could tell, he's absolutely part of the group. Uh, just kind of hanging, waiting until he feels better, And but I think he's, you know, from what I was hearing, still a couple weeks away, and, and eventually we'll see if this guy can get his uh, get his game going. Yeah, I mean, I sure hope so. I, I watch him. I went, I mean, he's a D.C. guy, so worked for the Washington Post. I took an interest in him last year and went and saw him play a couple times in person, and I mean, I think the kid is just a flat-out stud. I thought he was easily the number one pick in the draft, even in a draft with guys like Jason Tatum and De'Aaron Fox and Lonzo Ball. Like He, he could do it all last year at Washington, including shoot the ball which is why this whole situation has been very weird and I certainly hope he gets it right because he I mean he's a guy that you just looked at and could you know could put up 25 and 8 in a game and even even playing on a team with basically nobody else on it that could catch the ball he still was putting up big numbers and, and doing everything he could and the thing that actually impressed me the most about him last year and maybe this does kind of flow into um the situation he's in now is look uh, like I said the 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 the, the, the Huskies last year, the Washington Huskies, were a very bad team. And I went up and watched them play UCLA. Lonzo Ball against Markel Fultz, number one and two picks in the draft. Big night, right? Final score was, I think, UCLA 104, uh, Washington 67. Right. And it was just a, a route for UCLA. Right. And you would think a lot of times a young guy in a big spot with a chance to impress – you know, would be getting on his teammates for screwing up and, like, yelling at people and get angry. And, like, all I saw that night was a guy who was a good teammate from start to finish. He didn't complain. He kind of just put his head down and played. And, like, he would split double teams to drive down the lane and dish the ball to somebody and it would go off their hands out of bounds instead of going up for a layup and an assist. And instead of, like, berating anybody, he just kind of turned around and went back and played defense. And right. I, I just – his mentality impressed me in that game and just kind of talking to him in the pre-draft process. So, you know, obviously this whole situation with his jump shot has been weird and a lot has been said, but uh, I'm hopeful for his sake that he can get it turned around because I think he's a heck of a player and I think he's got the right kind of mentality to be a big-time player in the league for a long time. Well, and to set the record straight on one viral Markel moment, of the, you know, <laughs> and this kind of goes to show you, like, being a young pro athlete in 2017 kind of sucks in some ways. Now they make a ton of cash and there's plenty that you got to deal with a lot yeah but the other day at practice he's you know for lack of a better way of putting it he's effing around (laughs) and he's and he's shooting with his off hand because the shoulder is not right yet somebody takes video of it now it becomes a becomes an international incident narrative like although he just got caught you know he's not only changing shooting forms he's changing hands like for crying out loud and so you know, and Lonzo Ball's going through that right now, too, every single night, just getting micro-analyzed, you know, uh, to a T every night. But this, I want to—I I was looking up my old column that I wrote on Markel from a couple of weeks ago when I talked to his trainer, Keith Williams, uh, about the whole situation. And this little bit of history and empirical evidence, you know, if I was a Sixers fan, this would make me feel good. Don't forget how talented Markel is. This is a me quoting DraftExpress.com where they do a phenomenal job breaking down prospects, 
Markel Fultz is the only player in the Draft Express database, which includes every player drafted since 1984, to at age 20 or younger have ever averaged at least 20 points and five assists per game while shooting over 50% from two-point range and over 40% from three-point range. Translation, the dude can shoot. It's not going to disappear. Yes. I watched the guy play, too. I saw him myself. He can definitely shoot. I mean, that's a heck of a statement. You know, you're going back to 84, and his, you know, across-the-board shooting performance is unprecedented. Um, So he'll get it back together. I think that, you know, that part doesn't worry me in terms of his future. What what is, I think, up for debate and, and is kind of evolving quickly here is just the context of the Sixers, right? You know, and him and Ben Simmons. As the backcourt, how do they fit? You know, Markel, you know, I guarantee you if you had his druthers kind of in a vacuum, he'd be a point guard. And now you got Ben Simmons taking the world by storm. What does that mean for Markel? And, you know, long term, how does that look for Philly? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that stuff is, is as usual, a little premature. Um, you know, the reason Philly traded up to get Markel Fultz is because he was, in theory, such a good fit next to Ben Simmons. And it's easy to forget that when That's Ben is... theory, right? No, it is That's a theory. Yeah. But it's also we're also less than one month into his rookie season, and Ben Simmons has played 11 games, right? So, like, I, and I'm not criticizing you. There's a mil- Everybody's talking about it. Like, it's an obvious thing. You look at Ben Simmons. He looks great with the ball in his hands. He also can't really shoot, so it's hard to play him off the ball. I mean, it's even become an issue, I think, with Dario Saric. He had a couple threes tonight, which is important. But, like, if you're going to have Dario Saric playing with Ben Simmons, it's going to be tough to have those two guys on the court together. But... I, I am I am bullish on the Ben Simmons um Markel Fultz combo long term because I think that you know Markel is I think gonna be capable of playing off the ball. And I last year when I was at a game I was texting with a GM and I I was saying, yeah, he kind of reminds me of John Wall. He's not quite as fast as Wall, but he's got a little better shot, ironically. And the guy said, No, I think you're thinking the wrong guy. You should compare him, I think, Dwayne Wade. Hmm. which I think was a really interesting – it's kind of always stuck in my head since then. And he, he kind of – now he's got to be better defensively to play, be like Dwayne Wade. And obviously Dwayne Wade's a Hall of Fame player, so like trying to say he's going to be that good as a stretch, same as John Wall. But, you know, Dwayne Wade has made a big living as a two-guard who could both play like a point guard and also play off the ball. Right. And, you know, I, I think once Markel gets his shot – worked out. I think having two guys that can create at the point of attack and, and make plays for the Sixers, I think will work out okay. But there's no doubt that there's a lot like there's a lot for this team to sort out. Like Bob Covington's a heck of a player. Um he's he he was incredible tonight. He's the only reason the Sixers were in the game, I think. I don't know if I've ever heard him called Bob. I like that. Yeah, well Robert Covington, <laughs> either way. I I know a couple scouts are calling Bob Covington, so that's got stuck in my head. But uh but Robert Covington's a heck of a player. JJ Redick is a, a really good veteran piece for Bobby, this team. Is Bobby too far? Uh, it's, <laughs> Bobby might be too far. Uh, Embiid is great. Simmons has been really good. So, like, there's a lot to like and a lot of reason to be excited about this team. But it is interesting how many questions they still have to answer about themselves. No, they do, for sure. And then, like, like every team, but I, I also would kind of wonder what does the future look like when you've already had front office overhaul. Everybody knows, you know, the Sam Hinkie transition to Brian Colangelo, you know, Brett Brown has been universally praised for the way in which he has handled a challenging situation for these past couple of years. And he's got a lot of fans within the NBA. And so people hoping that he is allowed to see the entire thing through. But that component fascinates me as well, because I I actually, I talked to Brett after the game and I was kind of joking with him 
about how to hear him talk right now and the way he's pushing his team to speed up their timeline reminded me a little bit about Tom Thibodeau with the Timberwolves. Now, granted, the T-Wolves are ahead of the curve. Mm, you know. That's interesting. Yeah, like it's a different timeline. Right. But Tibbs is not here and kind of like you trying to, you know, to play the youth card with the Sixers. Tibbs right. isn't hearing that with his group at all. Right. I forget the quote, you know, verbatim, but when we were in China and it was the Wolves and the Warriors – and you know, no, oh, I remember it exactly because people freaked out. He yeah. said, "It said the time for potential is over," right. and people went insane. Right. And I was like, "What are you going insane for?" Like they they just gave Andrew Wiggins a max contract, right? Yeah. And Andrew Wiggins just got a max contract. Carl right. Anthony Towns is thought to be this great player. He's going to his third season in the league. You trade for Jimmy Butler. You signed Jeff Teague. You signed Todd Gibson. Like, yeah, like you should be a good team. Yeah. Like people going, oh, they're young guys, they have to learn. Like, okay, like at some point you got to learn how to win. Well, so if you're Brett, and let's just kind of, again, get on the, since we're actually physically in comfortable couch-type <laughs> chairs, let's get on the therapist couch right. here. If you're Brett, it's like, it's got to be so tantalizing because you see Embiid and what he can be, and you know you got to do the program, and you got to have him not conditioned, and you can only use him so much, but you see how dominant he can be. Yes. Then you see what Ben Simmons is doing. And then you're trying to be patient on the Markel Fultz front. But it's got to be really hard to not just say, okay, you know what, forget all that. Let's get to the playoffs now. It's the Eastern right. Conference. Right. It's not that right. hard. You know what I mean? Like, right. And, and I, I did get the sense that's where his head is at, and I'm curious to see at season's end how they look. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash post-up newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. Well, and he's lost a ton of games, too, and you know that, like, he, and, and God bless him, like, I, I talked to him when I was still in the, out in New York, that was the beginning of that stuff, and he, there was nobody better to hire, Sam did a, Sam Hickey did a nice job hiring Brett, because you needed a guy that not only is a good coach, I think he's a really good coach, you talk to people around the league, they really like his offense, I think he's a good coach, but they needed a guy that was going to be the happy warrior to put the to use the cliche and like the guy that was going to go out there every night and be like he was going to go crazy when they lost but in, in public he was going to say the right stuff and put the right spin on it and be optimistic and positive he says the right stuff but i was just thinking tim i think he's my favorite coach to watch talk about his team like on twitter every single yes. time jazz camarado yes. puts up a video or you know one of the other philly folks i stop and i listen to <laughs> yes. brett break down his team because yes he's not you know he's not so far off the reservation that you know he's killing his players but he actually breaks it down and he's interesting oh he's and great he's very well spoken yep. you know so we got and i didn't mean that he was just like he would just like spew platitudes out but they needed somebody that was not going to get beaten down 
when they were going to be planning on losing a lot of games yeah. and just give up. Right. And he wasn't going to do that. Right. And now, like, you could see, like you said, like, that was the thing that struck me about tonight. It's like watching him, you could see this is a guy like, okay, like, we have yeah. lost so many games. <laughs> exactly. Like, we, we now should be in a position where we are really good and we don't have to wait anymore. Right. Like, now, like, our time is now. It's right. not in a year right. or two years. But you, you mentioned the Timberwolves. You should get into them. We saw them this week. Uh, we saw them yesterday. In, uh, in Oakland, playing the Warriors. Uh, without Kevin Durant, the Warriors, you know, score 44 points in the third quarter and make it look easy. Uh, you know, the Warriors are way ahead of everybody. That's not really a surprise. But um, what, what was your kind of take? You know, you got to spend some time with Jimmy Butler, um, saw the Wolves play. Um, wh- where, where do you kind of see them at right now at 7-4 and four and, you know, a few weeks into the season? I mean, I like them. I just, you know, obviously they're seeing... And you also spent time with them in China, too, so you've been around them a good amount so far. Although, shockingly, for all the time, I mean, I, I was Warriors heavy on that trip. I didn't really feel like I engaged a ton with the T-Wolves over there, but... And Tom had them practicing every day, including the second they got off the plane, so in typical Tibbs fashion. Yeah, so it was a lot of time for anything else. I will else. say that, yeah, that, that was the most memorable Wolves moment for me of the China trip was chatting with players about uh, how practice was going. <laughs> <laughs> And I mean, I was I'm pleasantly surprised for their sake that they really had a good start here because in China, I thought they were all going to, you know, just kind of turn their time cards in two weeks in. Right. Um, So what I think, excuse me, sorry about that. What I think now, uh, you know, pretty good team with a ceiling that uh, I'm still kind of monitoring, you know. Carl Anthony Towns, I didn't think he was very assertive last night. The Warriors doubled him a lot. Um, I'm kind of puzzled as to why you know he seemed more dominant at different times last season uh the defense obviously is continuing to be an issue and and they've got to get better on that end um so I'm kind of just trying to decide what I think of the fit Andrew Wiggins you know is so quick and so athletic and has those special moments every so often and then disappears for a while and then Jimmy Butler doing a really good job trying to fit in but I think going forward the question now is you know where's that line between fitting in and and then just not being Jimmy Butler enough. Right. You know, part of the conversation we had was he said, listen, I can still give you 30-plus. I can be Jimmy Buckets when I have to be. I even brought up, he said, if we start losing, then I'm just going to do what I do. And I brought up LeBron and how he scored 57 in the, against the Wizards when it was essentially like you do what you got to do. And he said the same exact thing. Goes, yeah, I, I got that in me, but I'm trying to check all these different boxes. So, you know, it's yeah, I think he's been great, even if his numbers have been a little down. Every time you watch them play, he's kind of, like you said, he's kind of just filling in whatever gaps they need. Well, like Zach Lowe had tweeted uh, last week that he was fifth in usage on the, on the Wolves, which is not what people – they thought he'd be pounding the heck out of the ball. I mean, part of my chat with him about the Bulls time was a, he fully admitted – with the kind of the, the Jimmy versus Hoiberg. Well, let's, well, let's back up about that for a second because I want to ask you about that. So so in a recent interview, I believe at ESPN, Jimmy said, you know, essentially what everybody kind of knew anyway, which was that it was at some point it was going to be me or Fred, and Fred Hoiberg, the coach of the Bulls. And, you know, the Bulls essentially chose to go with Fred, and they traded me. So this was, I think, really the first time he's expanded on what what that meant in an interview. So, like, if you could, just kind of – you know there'll be a link to the to your to your column in the uh, in the podcast, but in the podcast bio. But just can you uh, can you kind of walk people through what what that meant? Make it in the newsletter. It'll be in the newsletter <laughs> too. Don't worry. It'll make it'll make the, the Monday morning post you up. Are, you are all over that was a good. Uh, that was a good. It was a good. It was a good piece. But what uh, if you can walk people through it? Kind of what what was his thinking behind saying that? 
See, I was hoping you'd stall longer. I was trying to pull. Are you it trying up. to trying to pull it up so you can uh, read it verbatim. Before this is how uh, I'm going to stall. First of all, shout out to my guy Sam Alipore from ESPN. I think Sam squared is the way I'll put it. We uh, we were the backcourt for the Harvest Park Warriors in middle school. Just yeah, middle school friends, Sam Alipore and Sam A. McNall, both uh, both journalists killing it. It's a pretty pretty cool story. But I cannot profess to be anywhere near as chummy with Jimmy Butler as Sam Alipore. <laughs> he 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 karaokeed with him for one segment when he was with the Bulls. I went back and watched it the other day. It was really funny. And then they went canoe riding. And when I saw Jimmy, you really should watch this thing with Sam and Jimmy. It is it pretty. It is. It is pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a hilarious. Like a girl. It's a hilarious sketch. Skit. Yeah. So I shouldn't call it a skit. It's a hilarious segment. It's it's good stuff. And uh, when I mentioned Sam Alipore to Jimmy, holy, t- it was the man crush beyond belief. <laughs> he said, "Oh, this is my guy. I'm texting with him right now. I love him. He's such a good person." So he they get along really well. So he did elaborate on. The, the Hoiberg stuff, and, and to kind of recap what he told Sam Alipore, he said that he knew the Bulls were either going to go the Jimmy Butler route or the Fred Hoiberg route. It, it became a headline because it made it sound like a it's that's an easy headline. Yeah, it's it's him or me. In fact, another shout out to ESPN. They they didn't mess around with their headline. It literally just said Jimmy Butler throws serious shade at Fred. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like subtlety. Um, on the Hoiberg front, and I've been stalling like a madman, that's not good enough, He's t- he essentially said that the way that Fred wanted to play, in a nutshell, was Golden State Warriors-esque. Spread offense, a lot of threes, you know, move it, uh, you know, fire that ball from long range. Which is which is now as you as I help you stall how the Bulls are the Bulls the Bulls are bad because they've they're rebuilding yeah. and I think Larry Markkinen could be a really good player I like him a lot but like they're rebuilding but they are now playing right. essentially the way that Fred would prefer to play right so here's the quote uh, I said what does the Hoiberg route mean what did you mean that mean this is Jimmy talking quote that means like everybody knows me and Fred had some riffraff. We didn't agree on many things. And I think eventually everybody was like, yo, they're either going to go build the team around Jimmy or they're going to go the route with Fred, the up and down, shoot a lot of threes or, you know, and then this is the best part where the printed word doesn't do it justice. He kind of interrupts himself, grins and says, look, I ISO it a little bit. <laughs> Tremendous. Uh, he says, yeah, I also I ISO a little bit. And that's not the way that Fred plays the game. And that's what I was saying, that it was either we're going to build a team around me for a little bit and allow me to distribute the basketball, ISO and pick and roll, or you go with Fred, up and down, shoot a lot of threes, that type of stuff. The spread type, Golden State-esque, you know what I mean? They went that route, and that's all I'm saying, and that's fine. That's what I was saying. Nothing's wrong with that. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, like, I, I think at some point the Bulls probably did have to just pull the plug there and reset things, but, you know. Well, can I quote Sure. Nick Friedel, our buddy from ESPN, who's always all over all things Chicago and now Minnesota. Uh, and again, I think this is safe to share. Love you, Nick. I'm, I'm, going, I'm sharing your off-the-record quote. He just laughed. He's like, it was not a Hoiberg route. It was a, we don't want to give Jimmy $200 million route. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's the other thing, too. I mean, look, the Kings traded to Marcus Cousins because they didn't want to give him $200 million. And it is, yeah. it's, you know, there's a couple guys that have signed that designated player exception so far. John Wall, um, James Harden. Russell, Russell Westbrook just signed an extension, but um, no, I think James and, and John are the two guys that were eligible for it that have signed it so far, and their teams offered it, and they signed it. And I, I think you're going to see a lot of teams that are going to be wary of offering it to guys. And, 
you know, this is one of several things, not to go down a rabbit hole, but this is one of several things that have happened in the league over the last five, six, seven years where the league has panicked about a decision a player made in free agency and then did a rapid course correction and threw out there a rule that they thought were going to fix things. And it's turned out to have a lot of unintended consequences that, um, you know, have you know come to pass as time has gone on. Nope, I agree. I, I don't have much on that front other than you are correct. Well, let's well, let's go, let's get on to the uh, the last thing we should talk about here, the Oklahoma uh, City Thunder. Lines, oh, sure. This, this is what I have. This is my lame addendum. Sure. We're I'm in a, pic, a picture painting mood. We got retired Kings jerseys uh, hanging in the uh, in the bowels of Golden One Center. So Cousins jersey will not be retired here because of what you're talking about. Correct. You look puzzled. No, I was just I was going to ask you cuz I don't know what the answer is to that. I kind of feel like it should be. What's I mean, I guess they I guess they they didn't win enough to for it to be retired. But I got to think I got to think statistically, the guy's got to be near the top of a million categories, yeah, I right? I don't want to bring the hate from the cousins left. No, and I I don't think his I don't think I don't think his I don't think his jersey gets retired anyway. Like it's kind of like Brook Lopez in a weird way because you couldn't talk about two more different people, but Brook Lopez with the Nets has just about he's in the top five in a million categories with the Nets because yeah. he's the only guy basically that played ten years in his career with the franchise. Yeah. Um, but I don't think you know for all that Brook was part was a part of there. I don't think that Brook is gonna have his jersey retired by then, no matter where he ranks on stuff. And I think it's probably the same thing, and and very for de- very different reasons. I would imagine Cousin falls into the same camp. Yeah, no, I mean, I that's always an interesting debate, and I don't, I'm not good enough on the history in terms of precedence with other teams with similar cousins type situations. You know, all well, I there see just aren't many. I mean, look, the guys are. If the Pelicans don't make the playoffs, the guy's going to be in the top five in the NBA. I, I think he'll be if he's healthy this season. I'm pretty sure he'll be fifth in the history of the NBA. I think they have five total. Four or five, if you go back to our we Tiny Archibald. Here. we got Tiny Archibald, Sam Lacey, Mitch Richmond, Chris Weber, Vladdy Divac. Yeah, pretty sure those are the five. Um, but if you go back, it, like, I, I think I think if DeMarcus doesn't make the playoffs this year with the Pelicans, which is certainly a possibility, I think he's fifth all time in games played without making the playoffs. So there are very few guys that are going to be, you know, two or three-time All-NBA players, two or three-time All-Stars uh, through seven years, who don't make the playoffs once? I mean, that's a weird. I don't even know who number one is. Do you know? Uh, uh, Tom Van Arsdale oh, or yes. Dick Van Arsdale, I whichever. I don't remember Tom. one of the twin. Tom, right? Yeah, he played. I think Ironically, nine. Sharif Abdul Rahim used to have that mark, and when he was with the Kings, 2006, when I was on the beat, that he finally broke that streak. Yes. Right. We broke it here. Yeah. Right. Right. He played San Antonio. Right. That's right. Um, but yeah, we that 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 went in a very interesting direction from where I expected. But uh, no, it's okay. I just I I just I was thinking about it, looking at the uh, the banner when he came up. So I was I was curious what he thought. But let's uh, let's talk about the Thunder before we wrap up. We saw them here, uh, ironically, on Tuesday. Lost to the Kings. Also, um, they lost again tonight. We were, we had the game on at press row during the uh, the Sixers um, during the Sixers Kings game, trying to keep an eye on both at once. They lost in Denver tonight. Now I believe they play the Clippers tomorrow in a back to back in OKC, which is kind of a brutal back-to-back leaving the altitude to go play a pretty good team you know in theory you're at home but you're also tired and coming off a back-to-back so um you know you know that team really well uh you know you you spent a lot of time with Paul in the preseason you spent some time with them this week um you know where where do you think that group is at as they're kind of trying to find their sea legs here with obviously a very different look than what they've had before 
Well, I mean, uh, you and I have been side by side this week a lot, you know, around similar teams. And, and media wise, this is one of those tricky spots where I talked to Paul George for a decent amount of time one on one the other day. Carmelo getting his insights on all these pieces trying to come together, Billy Donovan. And then they lose these games. And then it's like, what the hell am I going to write? You know, and I still have stuff that I'm going to use. This is another example, folks, of when people say that the media is rooting for against their teams. That's completely false. They're rooting for and against stories Story. that they're working. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we want, we want whatever, the, whatever the outcome that makes our lives the simplest in terms of the stories we're working on, that's what we're rooting well, for. Let's, let's, <laughs> here's a little glimpse. The last week, I was openly rooting for the Thunder the other night against the Kings because – only a King's victory was going to force me to have to write something. <laughs> so that's example number one. I then had the Jimmy Butler interview, and, you know, human nature is that if the Wolves would have beaten the Warriors and had a surprising win at Oracle Arena, more people would have had an interest in reading a Jimmy Butler interview. So right. I was openly rooting for the Wolves to beat the Warriors the other night. So you're dead on. You, you root for the storylines. And so, uh, yes, I was rooting for – you know, the, the thunder to continue to go in a good direction. Now it's different. Um, it is early, um, but I think plenty to be concerned about. It's offensively is the problem. It's Defense is fine. It's actually what, really better than fine. They're one of the best defenses in the league. Yep. I think but, second. Second or third. Yeah. But uh, I don't know the offensive rating after tonight, but I know I think before tonight – I mean, they had gotten worse offensively. They did better tonight because I think they scored 93 points in Denver, and I'm right. sure they played fast because they're playing Denver. So they were 17th in offensive rating, I believe, going in. This is a team that was 15th in offensive rating when Russell Westbrook just put his Superman cape on all year long. Mm-hmm. You add two future Hall of Famers, and you get worse offensively. Something's not right. You know, the scrutiny's coming big time right now where I think the debate is, you know, how much of it uh, is falling on Billy Donovan and, you know the, where he's putting guys, but Russ, uh, I think, is also front and center. And and he, nobody with the organization who I talked to or was around had anything but glowing things to say about the Russ's approach to this challenge. It, what's interesting and kind of counterintuitive now is that uh, you're almost wondering if the debate is Russ deferring too much. Uh, I know Charles Barkley on TNT at halftime tonight of that OKC game kind of brought that up he used an interesting parallel to his days when he went to the Phoenix Suns and Kevin Johnson and Dan Marley were there and you know all of a sudden Chuck was like well no I'm the best player here so it's my team that's the way he was wired he felt like that worked best for them uh, I don't know what the answer is but but you know Paul and Mello both used the word uncomfortable to me which I thought was interesting um, because they are the guys are having to think about where they want to go, what they want to do. These are players that who have not, this is going to sound funny, but who have not thought on a basketball floor for years. Meaning yep. like a deeper sense of like the, the wrong kind of thinking, the kind that slows you down, the kind that dulls your instincts and takes away from what you do best. Uh, I think they are all fighting through right, you know, that right now. They've got, they still have... 71 games to figure it out but you know it's pretty ugly right now yeah that's why i think they're going to be fine and that's why i keep kind of saying i wrote a column about it after the game on tuesday and why i I still maintain the same belief that um i think they're going to figure it out because those guys are clearly sorting through some stuff and if you go back and look you know Melo's buddy lebron james is the best example of this go back to 2010 put him and chris bosh and Dwayne wade together in miami obviously those guys were at another level in terms of overall talent even in this group, is, which is still really talented. Um, 
but those guys were uh, those guys took a long time to figure it out. Chris Bosh had never shot a three before. Dwayne and LeBron couldn't shoot threes. They had to kind of rework an entire offense to make that work. LeBron goes to Cleveland in 2014. It's the same thing. They got a lot of hiccups. They're dealing with a new coach, a lot of stuff. They got to sort out. It took most of a year to kind of figure it out. And then I think starting in mid-January, they went like 33-5. and five. And I don't know if that kind of run is in this team, but I think that – Paul George and Carmelo are such good offensive players um, and that uh, Russell is also such a dynamic player that I think they're going to be fine. Um, the The bigger issue to me, and we've talked about this off the pot a lot, is I just am very concerned about the rest of their guys. And Steven Adams looks great. He looks comfortable. And Raymond, Raymond Felt's a huge upgraded backup point guard from last year, which is a big help. But... I saw it when I went to Oklahoma City and watched their scrimmage, and Russell Westbrook didn't play. And you just looked at the guys around the court, besides Paul and, and a couple of these other, Paul and Mello and Steven Adams and Ray, and you were kind of like, man, I, I don't know about the rest of these guys. And Patrick Patterson's been awful. Alex Abrinas has been awful. Andre Robertson's shot is still a mess, and he doesn't look right. Um, so to me, it's like, I think those core guys are going to be fine, and that will lead to more wins. But for the Thunder, to me, to do the things they want to do, they're going to need more from that supporting group or they're going to need to find some supplementary pieces if they're going to really challenge teams like Houston and a healthy San Antonio if Kawhi gets back and if, and if they want to make it any kind of a competitive series against a team like the Warriors. I'll say this much, and I think you're good with all that. When it comes to the star trio, here's where I fall right now. You know, I hate using the word concern. And when I hear other media members say, I'm not concerned. Like, well, I'm, I don't, you know, we're not rooting here. But, <laughs> right. So I don't know what the right word is. But I, ha- I have more of an attention and a focus on the dynamic between Russ and Mello than I do anything else. Because honestly, I think Paul's fine. I think his offense is going to come and go. I don't think he cares. I think people who know Paul best say that, you know, you could probably argue that he's more comfortable playing uh not necessarily number two role but just he's he wants to win doing what it takes he's gonna, to he's, he's gonna he he's fine operating in a jimmy butler yes. the same way jimmy and butler is in, in minnesota his defense has been off the charts like there i talked to sam presti about this he he's so excited about jim about i called him jimmy about paul's defense yep you know feels like people don't understand how special he is on that end he cares about it he, you know he makes it a priority the mellow rust thing is is more uh, to me worth watching because you know Melo has been an alpha male his whole career and I don't think you know we look at Melo and we say okay well he's the old elder statesman it's time for him to take a back seat um, and he's not doing that thing where he's trying to take over right away but he did tell me and eventually I'll write some of this stuff but like the, the, the there's no pecking order with their group and that they talked about it early on and, you know, and I forgot, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said that he told Russ, like, Russ, you built this. This is your group. But then there was a but. It's like, you know, but we're all here. And, and it, there is no pecking order. And, you know, we'll see if that approach works. But, uh, you know, right now it's not. Well, and the, the interesting thing about them as we wrap up is that, basically, and it was before tonight, but going into tonight, all three of those guys are averaging exactly 20.1 points per game. They were all taking between 17.1 and 17.5 shots per game. So it's kind of an interesting stat quirk, but 
I, that's why I just think that long term they're going to sort that stuff out. Like they're they're all really talented. I think they're going to get comfortable with each other. It's only been three weeks. There was no training camp. Russ was hurt. He had a knee injection during yeah. training camp. He basically didn't. They didn't really practice together until the season started. Like I think that's been. A, I don't think that's been talked about enough that they haven't really had any time to figure this out. And I think they're going to be long term just fine. From OKC to a lot of other teams, for one, you just said something really important. We are not covering enough or talking enough about like the camp aspect. Just how little time everybody had to yeah, get like stuff that together. Really yeah, matters. That certainly screwed up Golden State early. Yeah, like a part of that was them lollygagging through the season because they didn't have a lot of motivation until they got hit in the mouth a couple times. But it also was they basically didn't practice for three weeks. Now that being said, I don't know what the heck is in the water in Boston because they apparently didn't need camp or anything. <laughs> right, they're just killing it. But the other thing uh, with OKC that Mello had to say, uh, or not Mello, but relating to Mello, was. Let's not also forget that the and I talked to Billy Donovan about this. The timeline they got Carmelo Anthony like the day before media day. You have it was a Saturday before media day. Yeah, the trade was done. Yeah, and yep. you had one approach as a coaching staff. Listen, you got to remember what these coaches are paid to do. They're behind closed doors, putting a playbook together, figuring out spacing, figuring out Paul George Russ, yep. Paul George Russ, Paul George Russ. Hey Billy, uh, Carmelo Anthony, did yep. you work him in like? Well, Maybe I, when I talked to Billy back but when I when I was in OKC in October and it was the same thing. It was like I even said to him like, "Look, you go you end of last season, you lose, and you go, okay, well, how are we going to make this work going forward with the group we've got? How are we going to get past the first round? Then you get to July first, and like you said, the, on the eve of July first, you trade for Paul George. So then you spend two months going, okay, now we've got Paul George. Like, what is our team going to look like? Right. And then you get to training camps. Like, oh, now here's Carmelo. Like, we and we trade two rotation players, and we get Carmelo. Like, how are we going to make it work now? And like. Right. You know, for people killing Billy Donovan right now, I, I, I think it's very unfair when you look at a team that's gone through a ton of changes and you, you look at a guy that, that has had to deal with a lot of stuff and is now like three weeks into a season where they basically had no training camp trying to assemble all these pieces together. Like, yeah, I, I think it's pretty normal that you're going to have some, some hiccups early on. That's why my bigger concern is the other guys who, you know, I know you don't like to work at CERN, but like just from looking at it from the Thunder standpoint, to me, the, the longer-term issues are if Patrick Patterson's knees aren't right and if Alex Abrinas isn't good, like they were counting on those guys to be good. Right. And if they're, they have five or six players, they're going to be in some real trouble. I'm with you. With that, I think we're going to say goodnight. I'm, yes, we are. The only thing I don't like about the Golden One Center, I fear for the people who are in the upper deck. We're watching workers <laughs> clean, and I just I really don't want to see anybody tumble. Uh, it is steep up there, man, but beautiful facility. It's a good vibe to talk hoops when you're looking at retired jerseys and a floor, and uh, we should do this again. We, do, we definitely should, but I appreciate you stopping by, man. Thanks for doing it, and I will, uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks, brother. Thanks again to Sam for doing the podcast. Really appreciate him coming on and, and giving some insight into a bunch of teams that we've seen this week. Uh, always fun to catch up with him. Uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Sam underscore Amick and, and his work for USA Today. You can find my work on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA, on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, in the pages of the Washington Post, and on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Please go find the podcast wherever you can get it online. Uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, uh, TuneIn, Radio Play, Radio Public, uh, Google Play, all, all, all kinds of places. Uh, be sure to go. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. Really, really helps us out a lot. Appreciate it if you do. Uh, thanks to Glenn Yoder and the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Really appreciate it as well. 
Uh, busy week next week. Going to be uh, on the road at, at some games. Hopefully going to get a couple more podcasts and games uh, doing that. So that should be fun. So until then, though, thank you for listening as always. And we'll talk to you again soon.